0: I <laughs> do Hey guys, what's up? It is week 97. I have some reviews for you, of course. Uh, I want to start this off with talking about, I added some tiers to the Patreon. Just some fun things, kind of like Director Spotlights and uh, an Amityville franchise. Been, there's been a lot of talk about it. I've been hearing about it uh, in other like horror groups and stuff, just talking about the Amityville franchise. It doesn't include all the uh, ones that aren't really in the franchise, but that franchise is so screwed up, it's hard to tell what's official, what's unofficial. And like, from my understanding, really, there's only like the original and the remake, possibly, or the first two sequels, but I would go all the way up to Dollhouse and then include the remake and um, The Awakening, so I think it's like 10 films or something like that. I haven't seen that many films, so if anybody wants to force me to watch the uh, Amityville series, it's on there. Like I said, I think I've only seen actually the remake, and uh, it's about time, and pieces of all the other ones it's kind of a franchise i i never really dived into so i am guilty of that so if somebody wants to uh watch me do a bunch of amityville movies there you go also i added a fulci uh spotlight not to cover all his movies just five randoms and a Bava mario bava spotlight just to cover five randoms as well of my choice but um i guess we're going to start this one off with the uh, mvd rewind collection release of oop nemesis uh Two, three, and four. These are all by Albert Pune. These are the sequel to you know the sci-fi kind of cult hit Nemesis. Um, and these movies I actually rented as a kid. I, I believe part two. I, I the cover of uh, Nemesis always fascinated me because it had like the cyborgs and it was that big time for sci-fi action with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And there's lots of good action sci-fi movies coming out at the time. So that cover always sparked my interest, and I'd always pick it up and run it, thinking it was class of 1999, which I uh, could never remember the name of, and it was always Nemesis. And I, I've watched it a, a couple times as a kid, and I kind of, I like Nemesis. I reviewed that a while back. Uh, Nemesis 2, I had seen parts of as a kid and never finished, but I did remember a bit of it. Okay, Nemesis 2, it starts off uh, very cluttered. It, it has like a timeline. It's it a lot of uh, information dumps in the beginning and jumping around and setting up the world that Nemesis takes place And Albert Pune's very guilty of that, having these elaborate backstories being told to you uh, and telling you the world before you see it, and there's lots of uh, you know exposition in these movies, so you we can even grasp on what the hell's going on. And half the time, you still don't know what the hell's going on. He's definitely an idea guy. <laughs> so uh, this one opens up with this uh, character named Alex, uh, this female body played by female bodybuilder Sue Price, and um, she is uh, crash lands in the um, uh, Africa to kind of escape. She's like this hybrid human cyborg deal. She has or a superhuman or some sort of the cyborgs want her to scan her and take her DNA. I don't necessarily know exactly. But of course they send send a, a creature that's kind of an alien terminator style or Predator Terminator style thing after her to, you know, uh, I guess Capture her or scan her DNA and whatnot. She runs across a bunch of people. She's part of a tribe, but she was she crash land when she was child. She's grown up in this tribe, so she has like a you know more so like a disconnect from a lot of uh, you know. Uh, non-tribal people, so there's that going on. Her acting is not particularly great. She is a bodybuilder first and foremost before an actress, so the acting is, Yeah, She um, seems to not be as, uh, you know, bodybuilders, a lot of people, you know, a lot of bodybuilders are really big and they carry a lot of muscle, so they don't have the maneuverability of a lot of action stars. So there's that as well. But uh, Nemesis 2 is uh, basically a giant chase movie in a desert. It looks like the same place where Albert Pune shot a lot of his movies, like Doll Man and uh that then uh, uh the first nemesis like that kind of junkyard almost like uh southwestern or desert kind of look to it. It looks like a lot of his movies. I'm sure he used the kind of same broken down sets or same locations all the time. But this one is passable. It's okay. There's no subtitles on any of them, which is kind of a disappointment. This one's okay. There's some decent action. Uh, It's a little uh, hard to follow, and it's really kind of, you don't really care about the story. This one's uh, the subtitle on it's Nebula, which is the name of the uh, Predator Terminator kind of uh, hybrid chasing her. That thing's decent looking. It's kind of fun looking. And uh, there's a great stunt. This movie's all about the stunts. There's no squibs or anything when people get shot. There's lots of shooting, though. But uh, there's a great stunt where uh, her holding somebody falls off a building and the and the, um, the nebula catches fire and is falling at the same time simultaneously they're falling next to each other. I was like, now that's an awesome stunt. And there's a couple of those in here. Uh, the acting's not great. The story is kind of a ripoff with its own kind of uh, Albert Pune-style thing going on. Uh, if you love sci-fi action, this one's probably worth a peek. <laughs>
1: In a future where humans are slaves and cyborgs rule, science has shown us a way to retaliate by creating the perfect weapon against tyranny. Alex, prototype for a superior race of humans genetically enhanced to defeat the cyborg enemy. In a hostile world, where life is worthless. Trust is weakness. And betrayal, the only way to survive. Alex must confront the ultimate killing machine. Transported through time. Destroy our only hope. The epic battle for evolution or extinction begins. Humanity must triumph. And cyborg rule must end.
0: Nemesis Two. Uh, Nemesis Two. Uh, Time lapse. I believe this one is called. Uh, actually, brings back Tim Thompson from the first movie as a you know kind of like a clone of his first character. Um, and I'm going to be brutally honest here. This movie, uh, she wakes up with an injury sue price again and she can't remember she has amnesia which is a very cliche action uh kind of trope so she doesn't know what happened and the the whole movie kind of flashes back to parts of the second one. So like 25 to 30% of this movie is flashbacks to the first part. Uh, it's very uh, jarring when it does. So it does, there's loud music comes on. It changes the color. It's very aggravating, very annoying. And, uh, there's this weird effect they put on Tim Thompson's character and a lot of characters where their eyes glow green and it, it doesn't, it's very dated effect for the, and and for the time it's probably still would have been like, okay, but, uh, the character, the actors can't move, so they're stuck in that position, staring with that green dot, so Tim Thompson's saying all these lines like this, and his eyes are glowing green, and it's just, it hurts his performance, to be honest, and later on, he kind of is decent when he's screaming and yelling at people, he's kind of the head baddie, but everybody else in the movie, the acting is terrible, the story is very boring, and it's obviously patched together from chunks of the other movies, and, and just made into a movie and it was a little bit of footage added on. It is the worst of the bunch. It is the worst Nemesis movie, and I just don't understand. Uh, the story's kind of cluttered and boring, and it's, it's, it's terrible. Even Tim thompson doesn't turn in a good performance in it. And I'm not saying like Tim thompson's the greatest actor ever, but he's an experienced actor, and he's been in stuff like Cherry 2000, Trancers, uh, tons and tons of movies. He's in lots of films, uh, Near Dark. So yeah, it should be better than that. Uh, just the movie's painful and uh, really cheap and just doesn't work. I don't want to be too negative on it. But uh, yeah, it's it's the worst of the bunch, like I said. Wasteland of
2: despair. The path to redemption is not clear. But Alex carries the seed of hope in a struggle for domination that will never end. All right. Against an opponent that is perfect in every way but one. The cyborg enemy is the terrifying truth. ...designed by humans as the ultimate expression of our self-destructive impulse.
3: I can't believe it.
2: Time itself can't stop their relentless pursuit. They are here in the 20th century.
3: They say they're from the future here to find someone.
2: The cyborgs. Weapons without a soul. Masters of deceit, treachery, and illusion in a surreal world. <laughs> I want that human who said they saw the DNA female. We understand each other. The power is within the genetic code of Alex. It's our present. Our future our hope what are you to alice the cyborg enemy must stop this divine spark of humanity now we must face what they bring
0: (laughs) nemesis 3 Uh, the last of them is nemesis Four, city of angels. And again, it brings Sue price back and it changes the location. This doesn't feel quite like the other ones. Now the cyborgs and the humans have lived, they were at war in these other movies they have t- kind of lived in a shaky relationship together. And Sue price has become an assassin and she is, uh, she picks the, kills the wrong target and a bunch of bad guys come after her. That's the setup for this one. Again, a uh, very uh, cliche action trope, but it takes place in only an Albert Pune world, only a world that Albert Pune could create. So there's that going for it. Um, I think the acting's better in this one. It has Andrew Divoff in here, which is nice to see. He's always pretty good, and he's solid in this film as well. Uh, Andrew Devoff is in stuff like Wishmaster, Graveyard Shift. Uh, he plays a terrorist a lot of times in movies as well, because he's got that, you know, like, you really can't tell what background he is, what racial background he is. So it's like, is he Russian? Is he Arab? Is he white? Okay, well, just, he's, he was good for that kind of stuff. You can just use him wherever, back in the day. So he's good in this. He's her uh, superior, and uh, she basically makes a mistake, and there's a bunch of people Hunting her. This one, like I said, is better. It's better acted. It's just a step up from Nemesis 3 for sure. I don't know if it's as good as 2. It's about on the same level as 2. None of them are as good as 1. And 1's not the greatest movie ever. It just has a, a fun to it and a decency and a budget and has a lot of familiar faces in it. Um, Uh, there's some weird sexual stuff in here that crosses that body horror kind of Cronenberg stuff and that's kind of a a pun exploring these cool ideas in the future that these like humans and these like synthetic humans and cyborgs all together and like these hybrids are kind of like have these weird sexual uh, explorations and their body parts are like uh, continuations of that sexual stuff and that stuff's cool and interesting and different um, but the most part it's just uh, kind of a weird world that has a typical uh, cliche action story in there and that's not too bad it's 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 okay it's not horrible um, I, I can't really recommend any of these strongly I do recommend watching the first one and if you're a fan of the movies they look pretty solid except when they use the effects uh, you know the kind of effects they use hurt the elements of film so there's nothing you can do about that uh, there's no subtitles on there there's interviews with Albert Pune on all the movies so that's cool if that you're interested in what he has to say about these movies because you know he's been uh he's a pretty prolific um, in, in action and sci-fi director has done tons and tons of movies over the years but yeah that's uh, the next Nemesis uh, triple feature with 2, 3, and 4 in there. Nebula, Time Lapse, and City of Angels.
4: I don't believe this. I'm here to take you. Yeah. Who sent you? Everyone sent me. And no one sent me.
0: Okay, guys, this next one is from VCI Entertainment, and it is Beast of the Yellow Knight. Okay. All right. I had never seen this movie. This is a Filipino horror movie. It has, uh, oh, who is it? Uh, Ashley, what is his name? John Ashley in it, uh, who's kind of a teen heartthrob in the 50s, and it's directed by Eddie Romero, who did a bunch of these movies, including Twilight People, which was also released by VH- via VCI, which I wasn't too big of a fan of. But okay, uh, Beast of the Yellow Knight is kind of a werewolf story, but it's a little different. And if you listen to the commentary, it'll, it'll grasp and you kind of feel a little bit more uh, positivity towards the movie. We have this guy in the jungle who's injured and hurt, and... And he's kind of an uh, army deserter, just an all-around horrible person. And he's a rapist, murderer. And he is confronted by the devil in the middle of the jungle. And he says, "If you, if you, I will save your life if and feed you. I will feed you if you sell your soul to me. And he dumps a big sack of rotted flesh on the ground. And the guy decides to eat it. So he loses his soul. His fate is he must serve the devil. And he must become all these different people over years and years. And kind of uh, manipulate and uh, destroy the the people around him by bringing out their evil and that's kind of the plot of the movie uh this time around the devil for a a sick practical his own sick practical amusement i guess puts him in his old body after this one guy had some facial injuries uh, i think and maybe even a suicide attempt or an accident uh and he brings him back into his own body and he starts to have a relationship with the wife and, and it is in the commentary they point out it's actually um one of the uh was it howard Berger and uh somebody else i can't think it's another one of these guys who knows everything about movies uh talking about he's says it's kind of weird opposite morality tale where <laughs> instead of like the werewolf just um finding his humanity it's a uh it's a man who has no humanity finding his humanity or like like the werewolf losing his humanity and this guy finding his humanity is like the opposite of a Lon Chaney uh junior werewolf movie or something like that which is kind of interesting to be honest and I really um, thought the movie was less deep than it was until I watched and I was like I guess that is a little deeper than I expected but I never was really a hated this one and you know a lot of filipino movies are cheap and uh you know just kind of uh sometimes you'll roll your eyes at how how corny or cheap they are but this one uh the guy decides that when he fights the urges from the devil he turns into this weird monster he's not a werewolf he's he's really weird looking and creepy and Kind of gross, and he runs around the Philippines and he kills anyone that gets in his way. The Gore effects are pretty decent for the time. This is an early 70s Filipino movie, so you got to take that consideration. It's not uh, anything spectacular, but it's decent. Uh, it adds in that Frankenstein, uh, if you read the book Frankenstein, element with the blind man. There's a blind man who um, <coughs> used to be a criminal, and they found that they bond this relationship. So it has that going. It has a universal feel. Even sometimes the music feels like that, but it's, it's a 70s movie, so it's a little strange. And there's some sleaze in here as well, not necessarily sleaze, some sex scenes, and it does feel a little sleazy, like you can tell John Ashley, who was in this, he's a producer as well, I think he probably produced part of this, is like, well, where's my sex scene? I gotta have a sex scene, right? Yes? And it's kind of funny. And he has like that cheesy kind of 50s quality actor, I don't want to say like a Shatner because it's different, Shatner has his own thing going on, but you know what I mean, like where it's like a certain like uh, screen presence where you're like, I don't know if this guy's great, but he's just there and he, you can tell he kind of has his own thing going on and like... Like, you'll like it or you won't. So there's that... But uh, yeah, uh, his wife is actually played by an actress who's in a bunch of horror movies. a Canadian actress. She's in um, some exploitation movies. Willie Dynamite, she's one of the prostitutes, is when I looked her up and I was like, oh yeah, 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 I knew I recognized her somewhere. And she's in some other things as well. Um, And uh, the nudity there is a a pleasantry in it. It's added, you know. So it's not a horrible movie and it has like some sort of moral message in there. Like I said, there's a lot of these shallot guys that are out there like money, 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 I don't care. But every once in a while you get one of them who's like, you know, I want to try to do something a little different I want to try to add some elements in here but on the disc there is um, an interview with a bunch of people talking about John Ashley, and there's some people talking about uh, Eddie Romero on here. Some stuff. I think it was cut from some documentaries as well. And then there's the commentary, which is really fun and informative. Uh, Sid Hagg is one of those guys talking about it. And there's other people that were in these movies too. So yeah, if you like the movie, it looks pretty good for a Filipino movie. You gotta you gotta take into consideration that you can just tell like if these where these movies were stored, like it's like oh no, the humidity and stuff and the low budgetness. It's, it's a surprise it exists at all to be honest. But that's Beast of the Yellow Knight from a uh,
1: when the evil in a man has so rotted away his soul that even death cannot bring him release, he suffers the cruelest curse ever placed upon mortal man by the host of darkness. He becomes the beast of the yellow night. <laughs>
2: to his face
3: mangled beyond recognition in an industrial accident
1: he returned from the dead to possess the body the life and the woman of another but his desire made him a savage beast condemned to stalk the night with an insatiable lust for living flesh He could have done that with his bare hands.
5: What kind of a weapon would you need to rip out a man's heart with a single blow?
6: May <laughs> Sasabi
1: Starring John Ashley and Mary Wilcox. Beast of the Yellow Knight. See it with someone you... Rust.
0: Okay, this next one is from Film Rise, and this is The Vault, and this kind of interested me. It had uh, Francesca Eastwood and, uh, of course, James Franco, which is kind of strange to be in a lower-budget horror film, but he does a lot of lower-budget movies, and this is kind of a heist-slash-horror movie. I like that setup, you guys think, and it's not like this, but you guys would think something like From Dust Till Dawn, where it has the criminal aspect, or uh, Rights of Spring, which I don't particularly care for, but has a criminal aspect and turns into a horror movie, or Maleficent, uh, I believe that's the one, or Melo, I can't think of the movie, I think it is is. Not Maleficent, but uh, oh, geez, it's the one uh, I'm just trailing off for no reason. Uh Violence, or my, I think it's what is it called? But you guys know what I'm talking about. But it has the criminal aspect and it turns to a horror movie. We have a group of uh, thieves who decide to rob this bank. They all have, uh, you know, alternative motives or some of them seem like they're doing it for a better reason. Uh, James Franco works in a bank and there's a bunch of other people in the bank that are held hostage. They set a fire so the cops don't really know what's going on in here. Uh, Clifton Collins is also in the movie. He's uh, kind of, a, you know, in a bunch of stuff as well. So what happens is uh, as, it, as it progresses, they realize that the money is kept in a deeper vault in the basement and when they open that vault, it unleashes some evil that happened to the bank years ago. This vault was closed off because a previous robbery Where somebody had uh, a bunch of people were murdered and lost their lives. So it kind of adds in, it feels like The Last Shift, um, the police horror movie where it's uh, kind of a haunted police station, uh, closing down police station. It feels a little bit like that to me. And I like Francesca Eastwood Uh, ever since I saw her in that MFA movie, uh, the Rape Revenge one. I thought she was really good in that. She's solid in this one. James Franco's solid in this one. No one blows you away or anything like that. None of the scares are like, oh my God, that's horrifying. Um, They're decent, uh, stuff like that. And uh, the setup's fine. Uh, There's some gore effects in here which are actually surprisingly brutal and uh, practical. All around, it's decent, it's serviceable, it's entertaining. Uh, There's no real bad performances at all. And there's some decent effects and there's a decent scary story. Uh, You know, you think, with like a lot of um these uh, ghost kind of elements there wouldn't be any you know bloodshed or gore but there is and uh the ending is a little uh, iffy to me the twist is okay uh they set up the previous story all right and it intertwines at the end okay but the end the very last twist is kind of like okay, that's what we're going to do. But it's, it's no real complaints. Um, it's solid. It's serviceable. I, I, I wouldn't be blown away by it at all, but, uh, it's a decent watch to be honest. Like I've seen some real critical stuff on this. And I was like, what, what do you guys want? It's a low budget heist horror movie, nice setup, decent payoff, nothing spectacular, but it never promised anything but to be good. And that's what it is. It's fine. It's pretty cool. Um, and, uh, that's the vault.
4: I hate sirens.
6: Is there a problem?
1: Get out!
4: Back up! Take
1: your deposit vault. Let's go.
4: We're not leaving without the money! Where's the money?
3: It's down below. That's where the real money is. In the old vault.
5: Private vault. Antiquated. It's off the grid.
0: There's people down here. There's people down here.
6: What is he looking at?
4: No lies. Short answers. Who's down there?
3: Michael! There's something down there in the basement. We're not alone.
0: Okay, the next one is from Scorpion releasing. This is part of their MGM deal. And this is Curse 3 uh, Blood Sacrifice, or also known as uh, Panga, which uh, I think I had a, a Warner archive or uh, uh, something. Or I had a laser disc. I actually had a laser disc under Blood Curse, or Blood, uh, Curse 3 Blood Sacrifice. This is a South African horror movie. And I was watching, I was like, oh, this is South African to a a T. And I've yet to see a real great South African horror movie yet. And and this is no different. Uh, there's like, what is it? The Stay Awake or Headhunter. It's just like, they're not particularly great. I don't know why. Um, this one looks fairly decent. And uh, the remaster is actually okay on it. There is some, uh, um, you know, blue lines at certain times and some dark scenes. But hey, it's pretty, I imagine this movie wasn't a very big budget uh, film. Um, the plot of this movie, it, it's uh takes place this like uh, these kind of I guess they're farmers they run this farm or this plantation kind of deal and uh, they they have a lot of people working for them and uh, one day they decide to go through this tribal area and they stop this sacrifice and this sacrifice uh, of a goat and this goat was supposed to be sacrificed uh, up into uh, for a god for this uh the loss of a child um the, the shaman curses them And they start to get picked off By this uh, strange thing You see like a machete Chopping them up And uh, we fu- we learn That this is some sort of creature Some sort of water creature Through Christopher Lee He's like the old doctor Who's uh, kind of fascinated By this uh, folklore and mythology From this uh, tribe So that's the setup of the movie uh, Most of the deaths Are completely off screen Which is kind of like Okay, why? Um, uh, And After Effects Look pretty good They squeeze in some nudity which surprised me because this movie doesn't really seem like it would have some nudity. There's a couple oddball characters that I thought were kind of fun in here. Like uh, the little girl and the grandmother, they are probably the best characters in the film. And there was a pregnancy involved here as well. And uh, you know, the curse is on her and her child in some kind of strange way all the characters, um, they I don't want to spoil too much, but they tend to die very quickly after the uh, murders start. Um, and it does take a little bit to get started. Um, the movie's not particularly great, and uh, Christopher Lee would say that The Hauling 2 was the worst movie he was ever in, and I don't know if that's true. Curse 3 is also really ridiculous and not as fun as Hauling 2, so I would put them kind of in the same boat, maybe. But uh, what Curse 3 does have going for it is a great monster at the end. And I was very impressed with this monster. I bought the movie just because I saw the monster and I was like, was well, he from that? I gotta see that um and the curse movie the whole series is just all over the place the first one's like an hp lovecraft adaptation directed by actor david keith and produced by lucio fulci so you're like what the hell's going on there the second one has jamie farr in it and it's uh, about a man turning into a, a snake monster thing the third one's about this curse and the fourth one i think is catacombs which i mentioned last week i think it actually is on blu-ray so and i do have it it's like part of the Screen factor. so that series is all crazy it's like name only sequels i guess but curse 3 is it's definitely the weakest one i've saw out of all of them maybe no curse one and three are about equal they're both not particularly great i think two is actually the better one i've seen but this one like i said there's not really any features on here there's some trailers and christopher lee's okay to watch he's fine um when the action at the end happens with a creature, it's great, but there's just not enough of it, and I wish they showed him more, because he looks really creepy, he's he's one of the coolest uh, Gilman, I guess I'll say that I've ever seen, or amphibious kind of monsters, he looks spectacular, not as good as the Monster Squad one, or the original creature, but he's almost there, he's good um, maybe on the level of a Silphus or something like that, but uh, <laughs> different but I really liked uh, I liked uh, the monster design, and at the end some, some cool stuff happens, it just doesn't have enough going for it, and it comes kind of like in the mediocrity level kind of just serviceable and like tame middle of the road stuff like if you rented this as a kid and watched it it would it would be fine as like a stay up all night second feature out of like three or four so you you wouldn't remember much but you wouldn't hate it either
3: in an ancient and enchanted land ritual and reason are about to collide you stop the ceremony
1: you can't just trample over thousands of years of tradition cause trouble.
3: Hey!
0: He's evil, isn't he? I thought Nyangas were supposed to be good people.
3: A powerful family.
6: On here. they've already touched it. It's the Nyanga. it's a bad omen.
3: A mysterious doctor. This is a ceremonial witch doctor's stick. Made in honor of Umoya Omube. Dang, ah! right. A curse that can only be paid back. We must leave. come. In blood. If you don't believe me, you are going to die too. When the Nyanga is in a trance, he can trap anyone he wishes to take revenge on. There's nothing to be afraid of, Elizabeth. Then perhaps you'd like to explain the blood on your vest, Doctor. And now, between the unthinkable... You killed him. The drums beat, beat. And the unstoppable... What do you want? The wind begins to blow. The mystery... storm rises. And the madness... (laughs) When it reaches its peak... Lies murder... Christopher Lee, Jenny Lee Harrison, Curse 3, Blood Sacrifice.
0: Okay, guys, the next one is the Patreon pick. I do not have a copy, but I watched it on uh, Amazon Prime. I rented it, and it is Akira um, uh, Kurosawa's Seven Samurai. This is one of these movies that somebody gave me because I've wanted to see it for like 20 years. And I never watched it. And I watched all the movies that ripped it off. All the movies that were inspired by it. Um, Yeah. It's a samurai epic made in the 50s. It's three hours and 26 minutes long or something along those lines. Uh, The Samurai inspired movies like The Magnificent Seven and all its sequels and Battle Beyond the Stars um, and probably inspired nearly every movie. You know, kind of like Kurosawa from my understanding was inspired by John Ford and then those movies went on to inspire spaghetti westerns and American westerns three years after so it's like very incestuous on the inspiration and stuff like that. But uh, for sure it is a classic film that is heavily inspirational and, and And, you know, gets paid homage to a lot. Um, This is a a simple setup that we've seen so many movies now because of it. Um, We have this village of farmers who are being terrorized by a group of bandits. And these bandits uh, are taking all their rice and their barley and so much so that these people are going to starve to death. They're not fighters. They don't know how to fight. They're scared for their lives and uh, they don't have any other choice. So they decide to go into town and try to hire samurai. Um, You know, this time, eh, there's a lot of samurai kind of roaming around, I guess, ronins, you'd call them, without really any loyalty to anything. Because, you know, I guess, like, samurais after, like, their master, they're, like, they're discharged. They kind of just roam in these kind of movies. So they decide to try to hire samurais to uh, protect their village and train them to fight to stop these bandits. Um, and since this one's so long, it's like I said, 3 hours and 26 minutes, uh, you get to know every character in depth. Um, I like how the movie's shot. Besides that, it looks good. The villages are cool. But more so, this movie is important, besides the slow motion scenes that were heavily inspired other people, you know, probably like Sam Peckinpah. But um, what really drives the movie for me is the characters they're great um, from a lot of the farmers and they have like a couple that come off as like almost comedic characters, but it fits like the comedy in the movie fits because it's such an epic that you need those like comedy spaces and uh, the comedy with certain characters, especially obviously his name's Toei um, are, are, are really good, especially when it plays into the end and the dramatic parts. But he hires this seven samurai, and they pick them up slowly and decide... And they all have their own unique personalities. The guy who originally um, is the leader... It's very much the same story and a lot of the same setups as Magnificent Seven. Like, the lead, he ends up saving a child in the village, and he's one of the better characters in the movie, obviously, you know, the main samurai. He has these mannerisms where every time he thinks, he rubs the top of his bald head, which I really like, uh, and it gives him so much character. Just simple little mannerisms like that can take a character a long way. He's a little older, he's tired of fighting, but he decides to protect this village. Um, the other samurais all fill in, they're all different. There's a young and up-and-comer that wants to kind of prove himself, and you know, and, and that, and then there's the one who wants a challenge, like James Colburn's character, uh, always wants a challenge. We have the kind of, not the greatest samurai, but kind of a fun, jovial one that uh, joins them, an old friend of his. Uh, and there's a couple that are like, just like really fun and jovial characters that you like. Um, and he has, the first samurai that joins after the young man is this guy who helps him pick out the other ones. And he has a wonderful line where he says, he's not the best samurai, but his spirit will be great in hard times about another samurai. And those two guys are actually two of the strongest characters in the movie. And the uh, they just seem like the most good-natured, and I really like them. Besides that, there is um, uh, Toshiro Mufuni. Um, <laughs> he's a wild man. He's the wild samurai who has a, a kind of a dark history, and he's doing it for his own reasons that are, are laid out later on in kind of an emotional, um, dramatic way. He has a unique walk about him. It's such a performance. He's just like so different and so weird and just so crazy and I I can only imagine that I know 13 Assassins was an original movie too but the remake had kind of a wild man that was in the wilderness like that and he's definitely kind of uh, taken I don't know if 13 Assassins came before uh, Seven Samurai but the character in the remake at least is a lot like uh, Mifune in this movie so I can imagine that there's some inspiration going on between something like that but or just the character of you know kind of a wild man in the samurai times or a wild man in general he's just one of the best wild men I've ever seen but uh, yeah this Seven Samurai, all of them are, uh, and then there's an old friend of his that joined as well. But uh, all of them are just, he's, that's a more Steve McQueen role, are just kind of like really well-developed characters. And a lot of the people in the village are as well. There's like four or five of them that have their own unique thing. There's fighting amongst themselves, and there's like emotional things that happen throughout that make the Samurais think, well, maybe we shouldn't be protecting them. Of course, there's a giant battle at the end, and they're counting and crossing off how many people are left, how many of the bandits they've killed. And of course, just like uh, Magnificent Seven, some good characters die. You feel really bad and it ends in a great way. It's, it's 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 I like the ending on this one. Actually, the very, very ending on this one better. And the mountain, or the mound they build to, for the samurais and the villagers is really cool. Uh, touching things with this flag. It's a great movie. What can I say? It's weird that... Um, I'm glad uh, that um, Jason Willard picked it for me, but it's also at that point where it's almost embarrassing to be like, I haven't seen this yet. And there's so many movies like that. That's why like, I'm, I'm grateful he picked it. I was going to watch it eventually. I was waiting for a Criterion sale, uh, but I, I just wanted to pick it up and watch it on Amazon, and I'll be buying it, of course. But a classic movie, um, you know, unforgettable and uh, heavily inspirational to cinema forever.
6: 寒の小さな村にしかし安部の頼ち、つまり 100
4: 翔太。この村だな。この丸は俺だけ。
6: 父親様だ。<笑> The last time we had
0: Okay, the next one is The Weekly Western. Let's go. And it's a double feature guys it's from Mill Creek and it's Fort Yuma Gold and Damned Hot Day of Fire these movies both have alternate titles uh Damned Hot Day of Fire is also known as Gatlin Gun uh Fort uh Yuma Gold I think there's like a fistful of something it's one of those deals trying to cash in that Sergio Leone um let's start with uh Fort Yuma Gold it stars uh Giulio Gemma who's in a bunch of stuff a bunch of spaghetti westerns I want to say he's in Day of Anger but he is in uh, Dario Gento's Tenebrae and that's a that's a great uh, kind of against type uh casting for him so uh, Fort Yuma Gold in this one, he plays this uh, Confederate soldier who uh, is released to kind of stop this whole giant uh, plot to uh, these criminals that are going to use the, his old Confederate squad in kind of a sacrifice or a suicide mission so they can go under uh, the Yankees and steal their gold through it. So they release Gemma with a couple of, um, you know, Yankees, I guess, uh, Union soldiers to take him down and figure out what's going on here. Um, that's the setup of the movie. There's a lot of familiar faces. Besides Gemma, you'll recognize people that pop up in the Sergio Leone trilogy everywhere. Uh, I, I can't even, I, I think that uh, the first guy in Fistful of Dollar, or yeah, Fistful of Dollars that Clint Eastwood kills, one of the uh, Rojos guys, um, he's in this as the Confederate leader. And I want to say that uh, the guy who he's riding with is in, both the guys he's riding with are in um, the Sergio Leone trilogy. So there's that going for it. Uh, Gemma has a lot of charisma about him. He, you can tell he's just an athlete. He can do like everything. Like he's—I I believe he's doing a lot of his own stunts, and he has a certain charm to him. He just is good leading man, especially in a spaghetti western. He has it, and it works well, and you like him. Um, of course, he gets in, like, uh, gets, pit, like, there's, like, on the way there, there's lots of fights and stuff like that. And they introduce a uh, couple characters that you really like, and it, you hate to see him go. And one character is an older man, and his setup is great, and his character's fun. And what happens to him is really unceremoniously stupid. Like, it, he needed more, and the way he dies is just aggravating to no extent. and actually kind of hurt the movie, because I, I don't mind that characters die, and it's kind of a spoiler, guys, I'm sorry. But the way he goes is just completely stupid like it's like why why it just didn't it didn't have the impact it should have but uh, the bad guys are pr- pretty ruthless, actually. And when they get picked off, I'm very happy for it. There is, of course, a love interest in here as well. But uh, I think this one's pretty solid, pretty fun. It looks really good. There's no subtitles, but uh, that won't stop you from enjoying it. Uh, the music's decent. It's, it, it doesn't stand out like a lot of the uh, Ennio Morricone or Bruno Nicolai or Ritz Ortolani or Fabio Frizzi scores that I'm used to. But it does. Uh, it, it's serviceable, for sure. It's not horrible. Um, I like Gemma. I like the movie. Uh, It's got a lot of good bad guys and a lot of familiar faces, and that's what you look for in a spaghetti western a lot of time. You you want that fun fantasy element. Mm -hmm. Second one hot uh uh damned day of fire, AK Gatling gun. Okay. This is like one of those movies that takes histor- history and it's like, no, we're going to forget that. I don't know how much of this is based on a true story, but, you know, like Inglorious Bastards, they rewrite history in kind of a historical event, and I'm pretty sure all these uh, spaghetti westerns do that. These are both Civil War spaghetti westerns, uh, and you guys know a lot of the uh, elements and political stuff plays into these in North versus South and how it's different in Italy and how it reflects into You know, spaghetti westerns. Very complicated uh, stuff there. But um, this one follows the story of uh, a Dr. Gatlin, or a Dr. Gatlin, but uh, an inventor named Gatlin, and it, he's in, the union's paying him to invent the Gatlin gun to kind of end the war quicker. Um, the people that are in the room watching the demonstration are killed, and the Gatlin gun and Gatlin is stolen, and uh, this one man is blamed for it. They uh the kind of is like in charge the person in charge realizes that there's no way that he did it and decides to change his name with another prisoner who is uh a, you know kind of in the same boat as him who's kind of innocent but he's gonna hold it over his head and. Yeah give him his name and say you have like 48 hours to find out who actually did this, clear your name and save this man's life and your own and mine because I'm putting my neck on the line. So that's the plot of the movie. He goes out, he discovers what's going on and who's going to buy the Gatlin gun, who's going to buy and uh, Gatlin and he's supposed to ransom back Gatlin and get him for the uh, North and then the bad guys who stole everything are going to sell the Gatlin gun to the South. So we have like these uh, three parties involved. Two of them are bad. The lead's decent in this movie he's no Gemma I'll tell you that but he's okay he kind of reminds me of a George Hilton type he's definitely one of those South uh, South uh, African South African uh, South American kind of actors that went to Italy and became like George Hilton Um, but he, he looks so much like him I was like that guy is a lot like him um (laughs) Now it's him, and I'm like, duh, but I don't think it is. But, um, yeah, so he's uh, a decent leading man, and he just kind of pits these two parties against each other and starts playing everybody. Uh, The main bad guy is played by John Ireland. But he's not uh, playing a white guy. He's playing, like, uh, they call him half breed in it. And it's so strange, John Ireland. Uh, you know what's funny is, like, he's, like, this classic actor, and I only know him from sh- uh, uh So, like, I know him from, like, Satan's Cheerleaders, and he's <laughs> terrible in that movie. But in this one, he's pretty decent, you know. Um, not as good of a performance by, like, somebody like Red Steiger from Fistful Dynamite. Uh, like, I'm just talking comparably to completely inappropriate roles nowadays. But, yeah, he plays, like, this Halfbreed, and he's angry and upset, And he has a shaky relationship with the guy who traitored the Union. Um, So, yeah, there's a bunch of bad guys in this one as well. Um, The lead bad guy of the Confederacy is played by um, the baddie from uh, Keltiki, the guy who goes crazy, and he's also in, I want to say, the big gun down. He's kind of the weird German guy. He's really good in those movies. He's okay in this. So, basically, the hero has to kill all the bad guys and uh, save save the, the professor and get the Gatlin gun. And, of course, you guys know what's going to happen with the Gatlin gun. It's going to be used uh, in extraordinary fashion. Um, and not like Wild Bunch extraordinary fashion, but it's used at the end, and it's it's pretty cool. Uh, all around, it's a decent movie. Um, they do some uh, fun things in here. Both of both the, um I, I think I prefer Fort Yuma Gold over this one, but uh, I kind of dig this. Um, and I should mention in Fort Yuma Gold, there's a really cool scene where you think the character's blind and he starts picking off the bad guys. But, uh, they're both fun. They're both, uh, a decent and a double feature of these would go by pretty quick. And I like that, the civil war kind of aspect in there in both of them, but, uh, definitely inspired by, to be made after Sergio Leone, like all the spaghetti Westerns and you can tell, but good stuff. Uh, very fun, nice release. Uh, part of, a. Uh, Hot damn, day of fire is in Italian with English subtitles, but it won't stop. It's only a couple scenes here and there, but uh, they they go into relationships with the uh, character that uh, he spoke. He's impostering He like meets their brothers and things like that. But yeah. Sometimes these movies do have characters get killed unceremoniously, and you're like, that's a bit harsh, isn't it? But this one's pretty fun. I would recommend checking it out. Both of them, actually. Uh, they're both solid spaghetti westerns, no complaints. I mean, nobody, not every movie can be a Sergio Corbucci or Sergio Leone spaghetti western, right? <laughs>
3: Just of bringing your guns into a girl's bedroom.
1: But I'll cover you with jewels. Your whole body. You think you everywhere with me. Make you a real lady.
0: You make me a lady? <laughs> Don't make me laugh.
3: You'll always be a half-breed and a tramp, Tarpus.
4: Kill
5: her, Tarpus. Kill her.
4: No! <laughs>
2: can't wait and sealed it'll stay by our
3: trust i'm captain chris tanner i came from washington for the gatlin affair
1: christopher tanner this court has found you guilty of high treason and condemns you to death by hanging
3: It's nothing to do with it. When you have to shoot, shoot. Don't talk.
0: Okay, um, the next one is the VHS Voyage, and it is 1987 from Magnum Home Entertainment, Night of the Living Babes. And uh, no, I don't have a copy of this one. This is, uh, I believe, shot on video, at least edited on tape. My guess would be shot on video movie. It's very short, 56 minutes long. Has Michelle Bauer in it, and uh, no one else that I recognize. We have uh, this weird world where the cover says George Romero meets John Waters. It's definitely not that. It's definitely more John Waters than George Romero. I'd say maybe John Waters meets Ed Wood. I don't know. Uh, I haven't seen as many Ed Wood as I'd like, but I've seen a few. And uh, yeah, it's definitely kind of an Ed Wood thing. But this movie is self-aware of its silliness and goofiness. It has a '50s-like kind of aesthetic where these uh, characters, uh, these two couples, are married, and uh, one guy's unhappy. He's like a sex addict with his wife, and they're like cooking hot dogs and just being really like weird dialogue and silly. It feels like you know that '50s kind of nuclear family deal going on. And uh, he finds this weird ad that he wants to go to. It's like Living Dead Babes or something like that. And it's weird sex party thing and he convinces his shy friend that doesn't want to go along that's happily married to go with him so we have the two guys going out to this weird sex place and the two girls staying back and hanging out and the one complaining about her husband yada 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 the guys make it to the place and it's very strange and nudity and weirdness ensues it's not graphic or anything in like it's violence it's just really goofy and really weird and uh maybe i'd compare it to something like Replicator, maybe on that level of silliness um but they end up being captured there's a sex scene they uh, have sex with these uh girls and then they are captured and put in tutus and they just they, they find out that they're going to be turned into women from this strange uh uh it's it's a man but he's playing a woman uh, kind of a masculine um woman um it's supposed to be a woman in the movie uh and um, they're basically going to be turned into woman with this ray okay the the women come looking for them they get captured as well and then uh they somehow. You know, the end of the movie. I don't want to spoil too much. Not that you can really spoil this one. Uh, there's some dialogue in here that actually made me laugh out loud. The interactions between the friends is funny. Um, the acting's not great, but it is fun. It is silly. It's so short that uh, you'll never be like, oh, this is so bad, I can't make it through it. Um, I, I actually was fine watching it. I had a couple chuckles in here. Uh, I think it's, uh, like I said, the, the, the runtime really helps you get through it because this, at like an hour and a half, would be pretty rough. And at one point, there's this scene where a woman comes in and strips for them. And you're like, this is definitely padding the runtime, You know, just getting some more nudity in here. But the characters are weird and zany. And it definitely has that element of, like, Edward John Waters uh, kind of tastelessness in it. But not so uh, sleazy. It is sleazy, but it has more of a little, like... Like that John Waters feels sleazy to me in certain ways, but it never like is so so disgusting. I don't I don't know how to explain it. It's not like exploitation, but it is. But this one, just really goofy, really silly, really over the top performances. At times you could be like, This could be like a high school play, but I don't know much else to say about it. I don't know if it's ever gonna get re released. It's probably gonna be lost forever. Night of the Living Babes. Uh it's not great. But uh, for 56 minutes, uh, you can endure it, and you might have some good laughs with it.
4: Oh, God! Oh, Jesus. Oh, is it morning already? Oh, Lulu, wake up. Mm. Oh, Sue. I had the weirdest dream. There was all this beef jerky running down from the sky. And... Those bastards! What? What? Chuck and Buck never came home. Oh, my God. I just hope they're okay. Oh, I'm sure they're okay. And I'm sure something's happened to them, too. I'm sure they got syphilis. You can't get syphilis from bowling, can you? They never went bowling.
2: I'm calling the bowling alley right now.
4: Okay. <laughs> Sleep a few more
5: Wake up, it's me, Chuck. We're in deep shit. (laughs) Hey, good morning, Chuck. Chuck, why are you chained to the wall? Chuck, why am I chained to the wall? Christ, I don't know. Who do you think I am? The fucking Shell Answer Man? Never mind. I don't know about you, but my arms hurt. I think this has gone far enough. Oh, now you think it's gone far enough. I'm reporting these people to the Consumer Protection Agency just as soon as I get out of here. Oh, fuck that. I'm calling the FBI.
4: Help! Help! Let us out! Help! Shut Help! up! Now they're gonna come down here
3: and kill us. Well, 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 well. Up so early. Shut up, you ugly, hairy bitch, and let us out of here. Chuck. Oh.
6: Chuckles.
5: What's wrong, babe? Two-two on two-type? All right, look. The joke is over, Madam Mondo. If that's your real name, now let us down from here.
4: Okay. (laughs) Just kidding. What are you going to do to us? Well, first
5: I think I'll make you eat these Vienna sausages for breakfast. <laughs> no! no!
4: No! No!
5: No? All right then. You
4: don't eat... Wait! No, wait! Come back! Wait! Come wait, back! We'll, we'll eat him! Come back! <laughs> Dig in, boys!
5: Are you doing this to us isn't it obvious that
3: i am completely and utterly mad
4: <laughs> yeah well why us well
5: you seem like a couple of nice boys from good families you probably make a lot of money <laughs> yes well it's true thank you but splendid your torture will begin momentarily
3: great thanks Sure. Oh well thank you very much. They never showed up last night.
4: Ooh,
3: Ooh I about to torture
4: in the deck! No! Yes! Well, where did they go then?
0: Okay, the Pick a movie this week was the classic trauma masterpiece or trauma distributed movie Buttcrack. This is part of the, the three-pack here with Unspeakable, Garden of the Dead, and Buttcrack, which I've seen all three on here now. Okay, uh, they picked this one. I've ha- I've known this movie for years. The title alone, you just remember it, but it's called Buttcrack. So I was like, how good can Buttcrack be, really? I mean, really, guys? Buttcrack? And I shouldn't judge like that, so I probably would have never, ever watched this movie. But uh, Ray Drop, I believe, picked it. Uh and I put it in, and I was like, "Okay, it's short. It's like an hour and like seven minutes. Okay, it's not gonna be that bad." Short, you know, like low budget movies. A lot of times, even if they're bad, like if they have a short runtime, you get through them, and it's fine. Uh, so I'm watching this, and almost right off the bat, I start laughing, and I'm like, "Really? It's going This is really funny!" And by the end of the movie, I caught myself really enjoying it. Like it's one of those movies that you laugh and you enjoy the hell out of it, but then when you go to rate it, you're like, "I." Just a Family can't give this more than 3 out of 5. But you might watch it more than that. Then a lot of movies, you give 4 out of 5. Just because you laugh so much. We have a plot of uh, two roommates. Uh, This one guy who has a girlfriend. He wants to get married. His roommate is this obnoxious, kind of heavy, nerdy guy who walks around with his butt crack hanging out. It makes his girlfriend sick. It drives him nuts. He's constantly um, cock-blocking, in layman's terms. But, yeah. (laughs) So, uh, what happens is, through a series of unfortunate events... He dies. His his sister is this voodoo priestess and brings him back to life if somebody says butt crack within 12 times within the same breath. Of course it happens. Uh, this movie's really cheap, really cheap too. So I don't know what it's shot on. Maybe low, lo-fi digital, maybe shot on video, I don't know. But so he comes back and... Uh, nonsense ensues the actor who plays uh, mojo nixon's also in this he plays a preacher very very uh, manic performance very funny it seems like he's doing a lot of the stuff off the cuff cracked me up uh the characters there's a very minimal characters but all of them are pretty crazy and over the top and the acting's pretty fun especially it feels like something that a bunch of friends made on a few weekends but it still has a lot of charm and charisma like i said but uh, the actor who plays um the guy butt crack i guess i'll call him um is hilarious he's so annoying and so stupid and so ridiculous and just so good-natured at the same time in the movie that you laugh the entire time he's on screen and he's always singing songs when he's doing stuff and he's so annoying and like uh Jeremy was walking by, he saw some of this and he actually started laughing at it. Like it it was, it's actually very funny and, um, very stupid, but also kind of witty at the end. And it ends in like a gory, crazy over the top way that I didn't expect coming. And I was like, it didn't even need the gore, but it's crazy. They did that. Um, uh, the ending's really, really funny too. About a family taking pictures of all these cemeteries, and there's a shout out to the director's previous movie, Nigel the Psychopath, which I have not seen. And uh, I looked up the director afterwards, like, "Oh, that's why the Nigel." I actually didn't figure out. Jeremy's like, "Hey, didn't they mention the at the end?" I was like, "Yeah, they did." So I had to track that one down and ordered it. I'll probably watch that soon too. Um, I found it online, but regardless, this movie is. It doesn't look great. It, it, the acting's fun. It, it's definitely what it is. I mean, it's not like Academy Award winning like acting, but it is like that fun kind of do-it-yourself, um, and we actually give a shit, and we're going to have fun with it, and they do that, and it seems like everybody's having a blast. I laughed a lot. It's very short. There's no real downtime. There is some gore in here, but uh, yeah, it's just fun, and I just it just has a lot of heart behind it and spirit, and I was just very, very surprised with it. I was like, oh, okay, butt crack, right? Right, really, very funny. More checking out, especially if you like low budget stuff or you like really stupid comedy. It's freaking hilarious.
5: Wade has a problem. When I think of Wade, all that comes to mind is his butt crack. Wade's problem was driving his friends crazy. He came in his damn butt. Let me ask you something. Is it so hard for a guy to
0: keep his pants pulled up?
5: I think it was the side of his butt crack that many times in one evening. Gen-
3: I might throw
5: up. <laughs> I'm here to offer guidance.
3: For well, your goddamn pants of you, retarded son of a dick, twat. Damn it, I can't take it anymore.
5: Then Wade had an accident. <laughs> our friend, our comrade, our brother Wade. He did not have to die. It really was an accident. But Wade's sister didn't think it was an accident. I saw what you did. She makes sure Wade won't be the butt of the joke anymore by casting a voodoo spell. Bringing him back to life to avenge his death. There's some kind of dark magic going on here. Something evil isn't worth. What we need to do is help him return to the proper resting place. Now Wade has to keep dying... Ow! ...and dying... ...and dying. Meet your maker, boy! Ah! Say amen, brothers and sisters! Butt a movie guaranteed to crack you up. God is in his little tiny hair hanging off your butt Featuring Mojo Nixon as Preacher Man Bob. He's in my shoes, he's in my pants, he's making me do a little tiny dance. Get me behind me, master of evil. What? That's Nothing. A- the Bible doesn't cover zombie resurrections.
4: Come yeah, baby.
5: I wish it did, but it doesn't. They looked at his butt crack.
4: <laughs>
5: and then they died.
4: Whatever you do, don't look at his butt crack. <laughs>
5: Directed by jim turn the other cheek Larson, butt crack has all the insanity and gore you'd expect from a trauma movie. What you should do is just chop his arms and his legs off.
2: Ah! I mean, just hack him up!
5: Plus more ass than the Oval Office.
2: Who wants to look at another person's butt crack? I know, I don't want to look at people's butt crack.
5: It's from trauma. Oh, your
3: pants up, you dumb stuck bitch!
5: Of course.
1: Move my hairy
0: buttocks to and fro! Move my buttocks to and fro. That's it. Oh, 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 oh. Boom, okay, guys, let's get into the Pick-A-Movie for next week. Who do we got? We got still got a bunch of names in here. Then I got to do the second bag. How many really doing this until next year? Like, late next year. What we got? Who's in here? We got... uh What the? Akaro Robertson. I don't know. Maybe I said that wrong. But there you go. It's Aka Robertson, whatever, I'll find you. I guess now we're going to do the drawing for the Patreon uh, supporters, and we're going to do for, it's for the Revengers, and a reason to live, and a reason to die, they're all mixed up here. Pretty soon I might implement a thing where like, the people that haven't won get double entries, if that makes sense. Okay, what do we got? who won, uh, Jake Benson just won again, and my guess is, uh, that Jake Benson doesn't want, uh, these movies again, but he, he wanted the other ones, but let me see, guys, I'm going to do a backup name just in case, so, that Jake doesn't want them, and that's Jim Simon, who also already won, I'm start- I just don't want to make sure that the same people are winning all the time, but, uh, yeah, congrats again. From uh, Maybe I'll incorporate that. Like, if you won in the last week, I'll take your name out of the bag. Or last month. Let me know if you guys would like... The Patreon supporters like me to do that. Like, if you won last week or something, you won't be entered in for this week. Or in the month. Month, sorry. But I guess we're going to hop into the questions. Um, Jonathan Wilhelm says, What is your favorite Jim Wynorski movie? It's probably Chopping Mall, although it's been a while. But I enjoy Return to Swamp Thing. You know what... Most Jim Wynorski movies I do enjoy. I have to rewatch Chopping Mall to make sure it's not Chopping Mall. And you know what? I think I do like uh, Sorority House Massacre 2 better than um, Return to Swamp Thing at this point. So it's either that, Sorority House Massacre 2 or or, uh, Chopping Mall. Peter Engelin, if you could choose an existing movie theme for the opening credits of Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which one would it be? For me, the main theme of The Persuaders would be perfect. That's a hard question because I'd have to see the movie or know exactly the plot going on, and I don't really want to look into it. But it would be nice if someone incorporated Heaven Help Us or um, from uh, the crazies in a movie. And maybe if it fits in there, that would be cool. Uh, Nick Mua. At what point, does a mystery movie become too mysterious or hard to follow for you? Mm. I guess when they cheat. If they start doing things that don't make sense, that's when I would get annoyed by it. Or they hire like seven of the same actors that look identical. Uh, Please name the three lamest twist endings from horror movies you recall. Ooh, off the top of my head. I know a lot of people like it and I know people have defended it and never liked the high tension ending. It always drove me nuts. Never cared for it. Off the top of my head, three twist endings. Ooh. You know what? That's the one that always comes to mind. What are some other ones that just drive me nuts? Ooh. I know there's probably a bunch. Uh, sometimes I just said like some endings uh, bother me. The Vault, I didn't care for that ending, but I don't know if it's a twist necessarily. Uh, oh, uh, Hill, Killbillies. It's not really a twist, but I hate that freaking ending. It's garbage. Killbillies. What is an actor too old to believably pull off being the hero of an action flick? The late and fantastic Roger Moore said this about himself when he was the last in his last Bond. View to Kill, hilarious audio commentary. Okay, um, hmm, it depends. Like, uh, like Bronson did stuff like in Death Wish, and you could kind of believe that in the first Death Wish, but as they went on, you're like it became a little silly. But I love those movies. Um, Bronson in Messenger of Death looked a little old to be jumping around, and Bruce Willis was in the remake of Death Wish, but Bruce Willis is kind of a smaller guy. Like it's hard to believe that he would be able to still pack that punch that he used to so it depends what kind of action movie if we're talking like tango and cash having bruce willis run around that i just don't really can't really follow that but you know Uh, i guess if dirty harry Clint Eastwood made a dirty harry movie now that would be too much so there's lots of actors that couldn't do it anymore but if they play the right cards and make them that character older and just limit what they can do then it can work so uh, when is an actor? When, what you, you know, what's funny. Like, so it's when I'm not, I'm just giving examples. I'm trying to think, you know, some actors age quicker than others. 55 probably is a good age to not be jumping around and doing backflips and stuff like that. Unless you're spe- completely like special, like kept, take care of yourself forever. Cause I know Bronson is the exception and hard times. He's like 50, 50 something, 54. He look great and believable. So. Uh, so, it depends, I guess, but late 50s for sure. Darren Hartley. Hello, Dave. I released he watched uh Invasion of the Blood Farmers and found it entertaining. Probably for all the wrong reasons. Excellent print, nonetheless, from Severin. Agreed. I still can't understand what was offensive in this film and what made it, uh, during the video Nasty's Panic, it was seized under Section 3. My guess is the name. A lot of times they wouldn't even watch the movies, so, you know, probably the name. They were pulling stuff like Apocalypse Now off the shelf because Cannibal Hall calls Cannibal Apocalypse, so there's the name. Invasion of the Blood Farmers. It sounds long, and it, somebody probably, one person could have complained, and they're like, that's on the list. Um, Ilk Vomit was close to almost pulling the trigger on Death Kiss, but I held off. So is this the start of Bronxploitation? I want to say, I hope so, and I want to say, please God, no, at the same time. Bill Peterson, you mentioned that you don't like floating head movies in reference to Scream and Scream type movies. What do you mean by that? I mean like the style of cover art that came out in like the 90s after Scream. It's just like five good looking kids that probably were in Dawson's Creek and the black background just floating heads. That's all It's on the cover instead of the classic 80s or 70s posters that we grew up. I oh, we went to video stores and saw all the time. Not all of us grew up in that era, but I frequented video stores when I was very young, and those was all like that until Scream came out. And then we had those I Know What You Did Last Summer, Urban Legend, um, you know, kind of styles where there's just like five good-looking kids on the cover like this looking scared and then a black background. I just don't care for those movies. And not even like the big ones, like Scream 1 and 2. I'm like, I'm okay with those, I guess. But like some of the lessers, and like the impact it had for a few years after was just really bland, bloodless slasher movies. Um, answers. Okay, what did I ask last week? Oh, which uh, genre of films uh, has suffered the most in the last ten years? Jonathan Woolham. Uh, I would say the western definitely needs to come back. Peter England. Uh, hard question, but I guess Giallo, with an exception Almer, the strange color of your body's tears, and barbarian sound studio, and probably jungle cannibal movies. Nick Mua, genres that suffered horribly. I'm going to go with fantasy for starters. Those Hobbit movies weren't all that good. The actors did what they could with uh, what they were given, but what they got didn't amount to much, especially in the cases of Adrian Turner and uh, Lily. No worse romance than forced romance. You were dead on about that. I had really enjoyed the first Hobbit. Second one, I was like, eh. Third one, I was like, this is terrible. Uh, secondly, the superhero movie. X-Men Origins, Wolverine, really? David Benoff, really? For shame, I can't erase a steaming pile of expletive. From my mind, not even with Professor Xavier's help. That's good. But I'm going to be honest. Years ago, there was no superhero movies, really. There was like Batman and then really bad Captain America movie. And I guess Darkman, even though it's not really. It's like Raimi made it because he couldn't make Spider-Man. So there's a couple of good ones, but there wasn't many at all. So that genre really, I think, has just exploded in the last 10 years. Not trying to like hate on your answer though. Uh, Peek and Boo, Question of the Week. An interesting question. Not a big fan of Westerns. Some are great though. Don't get me wrong. But those movies aren't made that much anymore, or I never notice them. So besides Westerns, I would say torture porn, even though I'm not a huge fan of the name to describe those movies. Vampire movies, I guess. The Twilight franchise destroyed that. Good comedies are hard to find also. Cannibal genre, sniff sob, exploitation. But on the other hand, some movie mixes genres some movies mix genres now. Uh, tn 7 who's uh, Chris, I think westerns have really fallen off in recent years, at least on a mainstream level, but just my opinion. But I see the superhero movies as the modern-day westerns. Eventually those will fade out for a while, and westerns will probably come back for a nice mainstream run again. Peter McCain, up until recently I would have said musicals were dying out, but I think it's uh, disaster uh, movies, and even war films to some extent. I think the stoner comedy genre is relatively dead now as well. Peter Wykill as for the question of the week I would have to say that every genre I can think of has suffered over the last decade a lot of recent movies have exact the exact same look to them and they use a lot of the same techniques over and over again. Many horror and action movies are nothing more than a copy-and-paste CGI crap fest. Even the sound tax, soundtracks utilize the same types of noise over and over again. I'm really tired of hearing that low bass drop sound that seems to dominate modern movies. It's included in just about every movie trailer these days. I'd say that it's been over years for the past 10 years. I hope you know what I'm talking about. I can't really describe it any better. Uh, I'm going to stop on there. I know exactly what you're talking about. I can't stand it. And it's funny now. Because you're going to mention this later, some to some extent, I believe. But it's funny now that they're in low-budget trailers, too. It's just like the sound package that company that you buy, it's the same as the big guys, or the same as the big guys used five years ago. So it's always like, boom, boom. It's like, come on, guys. It's I, I hate it. I can't stand it. It's like, to me, every time I hear that cr- stupid gate open in a movie, or the Wilhelm scream, I'm just like, I don't like it. Okay. I'm tired of, being, of remakes, jump scares, political commentary, and predictability. These issues mainly affect mainstream movies, but it has also crossed over to independent films as well. My opinion has be, also become a cop-out to inject over-the-top humor in horror movies. It seems to give the filmmakers an excuse as to why their movie is terrible. If anyone condemns a movie for being bad, the filmmakers could respond with, No, you don't get it. It's supposed to be cheesy. Sorry for such a long-winded response. Have a good one. You know, I don't mind uh, certain things that are silly in movies, but like, you should always try to make the best movie you can. I hate purposely bad movies myself, but that's a great response to be honest. I wouldn't worry about it. I agree with a lot of things you said there. yeah it's just uh so much stuff, so much things that are just made for money and that's back in the day, a lot of independent movies they were made for money, but they could do things that other people wouldn't do or they had these crazy ideas, and even if they were politically driven, sometimes they were more interesting because but nowadays, like the political mainstream movies are just there like so over the top and like it's bad being mean. Like, just simple, like, or stuff like that. It's just like, man, this is not so complex and so obvious and also just so, you know, okay, I get it. I, I just don't like it, you know, either myself. And, like, uh, yeah, like, uh, the independent movies, that's what sucks about a lot of independent movies. Back in the day, you made an independent movie, you had no rules. A lot of those guys were just making movies because they were, they had to make movies. Like, Jim Van Bever wasn't like, hey, I'm going to be rich off Deadbeat at Dawn. He was like, no, I'm going to make this awesome-ass movie because I love movies and I want to do something. Now the independent movies are just trying, a lot of them, not all of them, are like, hey, I'm going to make uh, this independent movie that's exactly like a, it's just a bad version of a mainstream movie, and I'm just trying to make a lot of money. I know there's a lot of independent filmmakers out there that want to make a living. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's just weird that people get independent movies because they're different. They want something different. Why are they making the same stuff? Like, why? Why would they buy your movie... When there's something bigger and better than it out there, if that's the same thing, and you're not doing anything different, why fucking bother on an independent scale? Sorry, sorry. I mean, not like I did something different either when I made a movie, but I just wanted to make something that I loved and had fun. I had no intention of making money from it. And I, st- I don't make money off that. You know what I mean? I'm just, it's just, do something you love. And maybe they love that, but it's just weird. I don't understand some things. Uh, I guess we'll go into the question of the week uh what major studio has the best catalog in horror movies like if you look back at old catalog titles like is it warner brothers is it paramount is it i know lionsgate has a bunch that they picked up from other people but paramount mgm warner brothers you know uh 20th century fox who universal who has the best uh back catalog of horror movies we know universal has a ton because the universal horror movies but yeah uh who has the best catalog of horror titles uh, out of the big major companies. So um, I guess we're going to hop into the update. Okay, guys, this will be a quick update. I grabbed Hacksaw Ridge uh, by Mel Gibson. This is the 4K. It was pretty cheap at Target. It's like 13 bucks for all of it, so couldn't pass it up. Not seen it. Heard pretty good things about it. Then we got Enemy of the State. It was also at Target. Haven't seen this in a long time. Tony Scott movie, director of True Romance and The Hunger. I remember liking this one. Pretty decent. Had a nice cast in it. Gene Hackman uh, Will Smith supposed to be like a semi-sequel to The Conversation. And then last, I finally came in, The House That Jack Built, the full-on censored version from the UK, Uh, the uh, Lars von Trier serial killer movie uh, with Matt Dillon. Uh, This one's probably going to be a wild ride. But yeah, that's the update. Back to the video. Okay, guys, thank you very much for watching. it. And as always, you guys have a good one.